and welcome back to series five of the Conformance Cast, All Things Auditing. Our guest for this series is Jonathan Furman, an instructor at A2LA Workplace Training, specializing in ISO 17065 and product certification programs. Go head on over to a2lawpt.org to learn more about course offerings and consulting services. It's episode two of this series. I'm Matt McCutcheon, your host, and joining me is Jonathan Furman. Thanks for joining me, John. Hey, Matt, thanks for having me back. Well, last time we spoke, we were talking about the concepts of auditing and why it's done. Today, we're moving into the actual details of that task of auditing. It's one thing to describe an audit, give it a definition and everything, but once you get into that actual process, it is much different. What are these little mechanics that go on in an internal audit? I think that there are a lot of different ways to approach that question. Uh, for me, I would kind of emphasize what we talked about in the previous episode, where thinking about audits as a type of measurement tool for management, as a way of verifying compliance, et cetera. If you start with that question, you're going to want to ask yourself, how do you know that you're going to be making an accurate measurement? How are you going to make a fair measurement, a valid measurement? And that's going to set off a number of questions. What criteria are you going to be using? What's the criteria that you need to measure against as part of the assessment? What resources are going to be involved? You know, who are you going to have to speak with? How much time are you going to need? What sort of records are you going to have to access? What hardware is involved if you're, you know, if you happen to be in a laboratory? As well as, you know, what the overall objectives are. Kind of leading up to that, you're also going to want to have to perform a really robust review of the standard, your management system criteria, so all of your policies, procedures. All of these things kind of flow into one another where they kind of set expectations and requirements for activities, responsibilities, functions, etc. So you're going to want to get a full picture of all of these obligations and responsibilities that your organization's bound to. Another part of that is also going to be taking a look at the last assessment and how the organization performed previously. Uh, Maybe if you have external uh, folks coming in to perform assessments, you might want to take a look at those as well. And that'll kind of like help you figure out, hey, these are the types of things I should be targeting. These are the known weak points. These are the known areas where I'm pretty strong and reliable. Um, And from there, you kind of get a a roadmap will emerge, then go about and execute the audit. In ISO language, we would refer to that as as an audit program. It's part plan, part schedule. But you know, and that's going to identify who the auditors are, why the assessment's taking place, the outputs of the audit. So you know, what checklists are going to come out of this, those sorts of things. And you know, it's really important to kind of get this to the lab in advance, just to set expectations about what's going to be seen during the assessment, okay. uh, what's going to be required of them in terms of their time and their people, those sorts of things, as well as just to kind of gives you another opportunity to really emphasize that hey, this is all about verifying compliance. I'm not coming in looking for issues. I'm not here to dig up the dirt, you know, yeah, that, yeah. you know, I'm here just to kind of confirm what we already presumed that we're good in most places. Maybe there are some areas where we can improve all those things kind of together. That's at least sort of the initial stage of beginning the assessment process. Gotcha, gotcha. Now you had touched on it just a second ago. This is a business, it's an organization. So they are performing you know, business on a daily basis. They can't just stop all operations for an audit. Now, I know there are some organizations that do do that, but most organizations, we got to run on a daily schedule of doing things. So you've got to take that into account, the workflow for scheduling an audit. How do you go about doing that? How do you schedule the audit? How do you consider the employees' times and the business's time? If you're going to be doing internal audits, you're going to have to uh, put out that document, the, the results of that document review in that audit program, probably ideally within 30 days in advance, just so that way the individual is responsible for the work. They have the time to make whatever adjustments and arrangements necessary to make sure that A, they're going to be available, but B, nobody's going to be impacted negatively. 
as a result of the audit. There's a lot of playing it by year. I, I forget who the assessor was back when I was a quality manager. There was an A2LA assessor who said something along the lines of, this is the list from which we shall deviate. Because as much planning as you can put into things, you know, it's never going to be perfect. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you need to be very flexible as an auditor. Things will happen suddenly. You know, Think on your feet, um, switch up the schedule to accommodate whatever may be going on at the lab. It's a little bit of you know doing as much planning as you can, but then at the same time being ready to improvise at any moment. Uh, yeah, a, a drop of a hat. Right. With that being said, what does auditing consist of and what does it look like, John? In the previous episode, I mentioned uh, intent, implementation, and effectiveness. Uh, it's an idea that I learned about when I first did 17 and 25 training uh, back in 2009. I try to think of uh, the assessment, you know, kind of like through those angles, through those lenses. What we want to accomplish during the audit is we want to make sure that all the criteria that we've identified up front, that it was all addressed. That not only is it addressed, but that there's been a a suitable, appropriate implementation of the actionable criteria that the organization is bound to. And then after that is our actual evidence that we can look to and cite and record that's able to demonstrate that, you know, indeed, we met all the requirements of this criteria. Is that available? Can that be demonstrated through evidence, through records, et cetera? And that's the same place where you're going to find deficiencies if they're not meeting those requirements. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Typically, you'll find a deficiency, and that deficiency will trace back to either an intent, implementation, or effectiveness issue. Got it. You whiffed it. You didn't even address it. You didn't make any attempt intent to articulate what you're going to do. The implementation was jumbled, was messed up, or there's an issue with the records that, you know, the records don't sufficiently substantiate what work was done, what details were captured, all those sorts of things. So, you know, generally you're going to be tying it back to that. I just always like to promote that kind of concept. But a big part of this whole thing, you know, that's handled during that document review, which we've already talked about. But once the audit started, kind of what you're working with is individual group staff interviews. In some cases, it'll be better to interview folks one-on-one versus maybe sometimes you want to get a group of folks together, uh, just you know, verify how a maybe a team, a department has happens to understand the particular issues. You're going to want to look at genuine project records. You're not just going to want to talk about the issues or the, uh, the requirements in abstract. You're going to want to see, okay, how did you put this into use? It's um, so a validated it, proof of that. Right. And then you know, also process and method demonstrations to the extent you can. And you know, of course, that can be a big burden on time and resource utilization, that sort of thing. But as much as you can, if you can kind of observe this work being done in the wild, that's the really important measurement tool. Once you're in that part of the assessment, you're evaluating the performance against all the different criteria we talked about. That's where audit checklists come in. Invariably, audits are always going to be involved checklists. It's kind of like the most effective, efficient way to manage all the information that you need to account for during an assessment and be able to capture what evidence you're looking at to verify the criteria. Yeah, and the checklists are so good because it'll show you where that check is missing. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. That's probably, yeah, I'm sure that there are other ways out there to capture that sort of evidence. That's kind of the best tool available to us at the moment. I think that later in the series, we'll talk about closing deficiencies, closing out the report, those sorts of things. But When we're in this stage of the audit, it's important to stay in touch with people, let them know what progress you're making, where you are with the criteria, what you suspect might be a deficiency. If you're having uh, difficulty understanding certain issues, you need better help explaining that. If records issues aren't making sense, that sort of thing. You know, you just want to stay in touch with people. You want to make sure that there's consensus, that they kind of agree with where you're going with the assessment, make sure that they stay up to date and current with it. And then kind of as you're looking at that evidence, if you feel that you've run into a finding or uh, an observation, something like that, you want to be extremely skeptical. I would suggest really second-guessing yourself. 
make sure that the finding is valid, make sure that you understand the complete objective evidence that's available to demonstrate that. The more thoroughly you investigate that finding, the better you're going to be able to articulate it and the organization is going to get more value out of that corrective action. The clearer it is and better quality of information, it's just going to translate to better improvement. Uh, Don't make assumptions. (laughs) Right, right. You're examining records, completing checklists, you're beginning to draw conclusions about what might be a finding, what might be an observation. This is the auditing process. You know, we're measuring, we're verifying compliance. We've done a good job. By the end, we get to a point where we can make statements about the overall compliance of the organization, as well as get into the deficiency statements, nonconformities, those sorts of things. Okay. But throughout that, we're inspecting facilities, we're reviewing equipment, taking a look at document control issues, asking folks to pull records for different projects, different capabilities, observing folks. Obviously, you need to kind of consider schedules and determine which activities are most worthwhile to observe. Where are we going to get the most mileage? If there are certain activities that have severe consequences, should they go uh, awry, then you know maybe we definitely want to take a look at those. If there are ones that are more complicated, more prone to failure, that might be a better use of our time. It's a lot of interviewing. You need to be super flexible when it comes to communication. Everybody communicates a little bit differently, so you kind of have to adapt and tailor your style to to work with them. You know, some folks do better answering open-ended questions and just kind of like having a discussion and and describing things on their own, whereas others, they can get a little long-winded. So you really got to help them navigate. Got to get to those yes and no questions. Right, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just to kind of, you know, direct the conversation and get to where you need to be. The next episode, we'll talk a lot about the role of empathy in audits, which kind of goes back to the whole theme of making these things less stressful, less intense. Remembering that this is not just a process, it's a human process. Right, right. Having that rapport with folks is key. Another thing I'd add is during your scheduling, during your document review and all that stuff, you've probably already thought about how you're going to go about sampling the work. Make sure that you're looking at recent records. Make sure that you're looking at not so recent records. You want to make sure that you're getting a very representative sample, a complete picture. You don't want that to be skewed. You don't want to be doing an audit of yesterday's work. You want it to be a mix of gotcha. here and now. It's going to be the best picture that you can offer the organization. Yeah, last year's work, the year before. Exactly. Yesterday's yeah. work, last month's work, You know, nice collection sample size. Right. So you can do all sorts of preparing to be ready for this audit. But as you said, there are things that are always going to pop up. And maybe, you know, cause a little obstacle, maybe throw a wrench into the operations. But we do have processes and approaches for these audits. What do you do when you're looking at these approaches for auditing for these different organizations? Is there an approach that is best for one organization but not? Or is there like an umbrella type of audit process that you can just blanket cover everything? The sort of approaches that you're referring to here would be like horizontal audit versus a vertical audit. Mm -hmm. I've talked to folks about auditing before in training, and I really think that you're kind of always pivoting back and forth between those two modes. A vertical audit would be one in which you're looking at the entirety of a project of a particular test program. So you're looking at at what point was the lab contract? What did that contract look like? Were the the terms of that work, were they defining a proposal or in a contract? Was that reviewed and, and adequately understood? From there, you know, how was that work assigned? What were the competencies required of the individuals involved in that particular work? And then from there, you know, depending on the technical activity, it could be testing, inspection, certification. 
then you would begin looking at the tools used in that activity and then sort of the, the procedural elements of those individual processes, whether it's testing, evaluating a product, it could be any number of different things. You go from then the output of the project, so it could be a test report, an inspection report, it could be a certificate. You look at everything from head to toe, start to finish, uh, and the idea is that that's kind of giving you the best snapshot of the organization's work. You're seeing all the handoffs between all the different groups that are involved. Gotcha. You're seeing how those uh, different elements interrelate. You're seeing the collaboration. And right, right. So a horizontal audit instead is going to be, you're looking at one particular piece of the criteria. So let's say, uh, you know, I mentioned reviewing contracts. If I knew that my organization had a lot of difficulties with reviewing contracts for whatever reason, we're always missing certain things, then I could decide to do a horizontal assessment or audit on those requirements. And in that case, instead of just looking at one piece from start to finish, I'm going to look at as many examples of our contract work, our contract review work, and I'm just going to be focusing on that specific requirement. And so you can kind of pivot back and forth. I mean, the advantage with a vertical audit is you're getting the sort of the most realistic view. You're getting the customer's view. You're seeing the work as it's handed off from one party to the next within your organization. Mm -hmm. Obviously, those are like big risky fail points. Yeah. But with the horizontal, you're focusing on one particular activity or one element, but you're able to get a much greater sample size. So you're going to get a bigger picture of how are we performing with respect to this single requirement. You know, you kind of have to pivot back and forth. Going back to the planning that I was talking about, you want to make sure that you have several examples of the vertical audits. But for trouble points, areas of the standard that might be more uh, risky or more challenging, you know, those are good candidates for horizontal audits. Okay. Um, to you know, kind of get a better picture of those individual issues. So there is no one size fits all type of scenario. It's more of a, a hybrid type of situation based on the organizational needs at that yeah, point in time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think a good audit plan is also going to think about the volume of work, what type of work's being done, and it's going to make sure that they're going to, they're going to arrive at this representative sample to make sure that all their activities are covered in a way that gives them confidence that they're doing a realistic audit. Mm -hmm. As we get through the auditing process here and we see that organizations are using hybrid models of the vertical and the horizontal or just you know, sampling the horizontal, doing a vertical to get that overall big picture and the horizontal to get more of that detailed information, have you ever come across an auditing approach from an organization that's just different, that you weren't expecting? As a quality manager, I would typically perform sort of like whole management system audits, which I would do a management system audit uh, dedicated to a single location, mm -hmm. single ISO registration or single ISO accreditation. I would do that all at the same time. Typically, it would take anywhere from one to two weeks, depending on everything involved. But I have seen organizations that instead, they come up with that audit plan. You know, They might do it at the beginning of the year, and they kind of split up the criteria so that every quarter, they're looking at 25% of what needs to be audited. Okay. And so then over that, over that time period, uh, then they eventually get around to all the criteria and they're, they're kind of in full audit mode the entire time. I was personally never able to make that work. Um, I think that that might be more useful in uh, manufacturing settings. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm aware of, of different organizations that have done that. I can never make it work myself. I think that, you know, for me as a quality manager, and I think, you know, kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier about scheduling and resource utilization, all that kind of stuff, it just made more sense to kind of have a dedicated audit period. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then also going back to the validity of the measurement, you need to have like an audit time, you needed time to correct the issues, you need time to go back and verify the effectiveness, kind of staying in an audit mode all the time. I never, never figured out how to make that work. Definitely applaud it when I see it. I, I think that's great. That's probably less common 
the kind of the whole system model yeah. I was talking about. Another thing too is outsourcing. Occasionally organizations, maybe it's just because of the, their size, maybe they don't have enough people that are going to be impartial from the work that they're auditing, or for whatever reason, they just want a third party perspective. They'll hire a consultant to come in and perform their internal audit. I've never been part of that sort of thing. There are definitely organizations that do that and get a lot of value out of it. It seems so. like both of those could maybe be a little beneficial and non-beneficial, like quarterly auditing, doing 25% every quarter, you would think, keep your employees on, on their toes and really into those processes and those standards and everything like that, where scheduling uh, a specific time might be a little stressful because now all the pressure is on. But I do agree that a manufacturing setting seems that would be the best area to use that just because of how much of that process is used on a regular basis and how a simple error could really put a kink into mm -hmm. the whole process. So doing that on a regular basis makes sense. Whereas compared to a typical organization, having that time scheduled out ahead would make the most sense. Now, moving forward into our next topic on auditing, as we wrap up this conversation, we're gonna talk about the all important auditor itself. How do you select one what are the characteristics you're looking for when it comes to auditing? Thanks for tuning in to the Conformance Cast. John, thanks for joining me this episode. Look yep, forward to the man. next episode. Now that you understand the preparation and the planning of the audit, we're going to move into that selecting an auditor. Perform the task on this next episode. Join us then on the Conformance Cast to find out what it takes to be an auditor. <laughs>